Praise the Lord. Let's, let's pray over the word here for just a moment. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Thank you for your word. <laughs> I mean, it is the answer. We understand tonight, God, that you're going to do your word. And we want to be people of that word. We give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read you an unusual passage. I read this today in my daily Bible reading, and it was really, it really stood out to me. This is Isaiah chapter 41 in verse 21 and 22. The Lord is talking to the idols of Israel. He, he challenges the idols. And he says, Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us, or declare us things for to come. That's an interesting passage. I'm going to read it from the Amplified in just a second. But, but what, what the Lord is doing is he's, he's, he's telling his idols, he's saying, I want you to show me how the things in the past apply to the present and how they show us how everything's going to turn out. He's, he's telling them to show the future through the past and the present. Isn't that an interesting thing? He's, he's saying, I want you to tell me, I want you to look at the past and tell me what that means for the future. Here's how the Amplified says it. It says, you idols made by men's hands, prove your divinity. Produce your cause, set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and tell us what is to happen. Let them tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them and know the outcome of them, or declare to us the things to come. Isn't that interesting? He's saying that we can tell the future by what's happened in the past. Or oh, the Lord can. He said, I can tell you what's going to happen because of what's happened in the past. The reason for the challenge of God here is that's how he reveals many future events based on what happened in the past. If you can see those things. Sometimes, sometimes it's called, when we talk about prophecy and those types of things, uh, the prophecy sometimes has, or the story may have a double reference. It's, it's the event that's happening while the, what the Bible's talking about it, but then it also points to the future of things. Okay? For example, in Isaiah 8.18, the Bible says this. Isaiah says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. Now, he's talking about his own kids. And what's going to happen with them. But he's also prophesying about Jesus. Because the Bible says, quotes Jesus in Hebrews 2.13 as saying, Behold, I and the children whom God hath given me. So Isaiah's children were for signs and for wonders. Jesus' children are for signs and for wonders. I mean, we need to recognize that. We are here. That's, that's a double reference passage. It's a prophetic word. You and I are are for signs and for wonders. That's kind of cool, isn't it? But it's a double reference here. Okay, The prophetic word of the end times, we've been talking about the end times, we can sometimes look to the past in the scripture and we can find out what the future is going to be based on what the Bible has promised us. Okay, The word is a seed of confirmation to a greater fulfillment that happens later on. When they say history repeats itself, 
they're, they're telling the truth because history does. But God is telling us a whole different thing. So we've been talking about the end times. We've actually been talking about uh, the Antichrist and all that for a while. We talked about the, the rapture of the church. We talked about the coming of the Antichrist. And we finally last week talked about the, the destruction of the Antichrist when Jesus destroys him with the word of his mouth, which is going to be an awesome thing. And we get to be here to behold it. Because we looked at all those things. But tonight I'm going to look at us, look at a couple of keys that will help us unlock the revelation of the end times. Next week I'm going to go into a whole new thing, but I just want to I want to finish this particular group of teachings with this one. I want you I want you to get a couple of keys of, what, of how to look at the end times. All right, so let me read start off. Let me read this passage from Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. The Lord says, "Remember the former things of old, for I am God; there is none else. I am God; there's none like me." Listen to this next statement: declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it, I will also do it. Now, God has always declared the end from the beginning. The reason there's a beginning is because God is declaring the end. That's what he does. So it would behoove us to search the beginning to find out what about the end, to figure out what's going to happen in the end. There's nothing, there, there's nothing that can stand in the way of his prophetic word about the end times. Nothing. He's saying, I'm going to do it even if I have to send a bad bird. Even if I have to raise up somebody from some other place, he said, I've declared the end from the beginning. And I'm going to, it's going to happen as sure as I said it. So when we search the Genesis account, we can find there a lot of God's revealed plan for the future. I mean, from the very beginning, he began to show us some things. From the, from the account of creation, he began to show us some very interesting things about the end. All right? We know from the scriptures... I'm not going to teach this tonight, but, but man, when God gave man dominion, and I'll read you this passage, and God said, let us make a man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. We know that when he did that, he gave man dominion over the earth, but not forever. He basically gave him a time frame in which he would have dominion over the earth. Okay, it was like a, he leased it out. So we could maybe call it the earth lease. We leased it out. God leased it to man for a certain period of time. So there's only a limited amount of time that man will have dominion on the earth. Okay, there, there's a time that will come. And so we, we, we see that in there. Okay, After six days in the creation, six literal 24-hour days, God created all the things, and on the seventh day, God rested. Now think about these verses. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 says, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. So there is a rest that that is prophesying about that we haven't seen quite yet. Chapter verse 3 says, for we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. 
For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, when God did rest the seventh day from all of his works, and in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. So God is talking about the future. When he rested on the seventh day, it's a picture of something else that's going to happen for you and for me. Okay, he did that's that 24 hour day. He did rest. Okay, and the children of Israel rested every Sabbath. That's what they had to do. But it's referring more than just to them. He's referring to the end here in Hebrews. The seventh day of the Genesis account represents the time at the end. I think this is I think this is fun. First key, we look at at, at, at what what's going to happen in the future. The first key is that God has already declared the beginning. I mean, the end from the beginning. In the beginning, God declared the end. So that, that's the first key I'm going to talk about. So we understand that from the beginning, God began to talk about the end. All right, now let me read you this passage of Scripture. This is in 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read parts of verses 1 through 8. And Peter says, In this second epistle, beloved, I now write to you, both in which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? So he's talking about this. He's talking about the end times. He's talking about the end days. Then he says something in verse 8 that's pretty amazing to me. He says, but, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. When he's talking about the end times, he says there's one thing you can't be ignorant of. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. When we talk about end time events, that's an important thing that we must not be ignorant of. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Isn't that something? Now, what does that have to do with the end times? Well, let's talk about it for just a second. He says, that's the key. It means in certain places in the scripture, by double reference, a day represents a thousand years. A 24-hour day is a picture of 1,000 years by double reference. We can see that prophetically, all right? But it can only be interpreted that way when it's obvious that it fits prophetically. Not every day represents 1,000 years, but there are certain days that do. Peter says, don't be ignorant about that one thing. And this will get exciting, hopefully, before I get finished. It seems to me that God has divided man's dominion into the earth so far, well, all, of all time, into three equal segments of time. The first one, from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years. Abraham came at the end of the 2,000 years, but in, in the, he's, in, he's in the last of the 2,000, the first of the, thir, of the third thousand year. Okay? The second, the second group, 2,000 years, Abraham to Jesus. 2,000 years. Jesus to the end of the church age. How long do you think that's going to last? 2,000 years. Okay, now, understand that God didn't use the Roman calendar that we use, okay? Also understand that Jesus was not born on January the 1st of the year zero. Okay, let's, under, let's make sure we're clear about that because it's like, well, it's already been more than 2,000 years. It's 2021. No, no. I mean, most people believe Jesus was born about the year 26 A.D. I mean, so anyway, so anyway, we're, let's, let me go on. 
Okay, so we're going to think about a couple of things. A day is as a thousand years. So if we're going to look at the creation, at the Genesis account, each day represents a thousand years. On the seventh day, God rested, and there's still a rest for the people of God that goes right along with biblical prophecy about the return of Jesus at the end of the tribulation, and Jesus sets up an earthly kingdom. The devil is thrown into hell for how long? A thousand years. That is that rest that is talked about. Now, there's more rest after that, by the way. But that's what that, that's how that correlates to things. Okay, when Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice in Genesis 22, God now had legal recourse to offer His own Son for the sins of mankind. I mean, this is such a powerful story. I mean, when when God said to, to Abraham, He said, "Take your son, your only son, Isaac." Now, wait a minute, was it His only son? Did He already have Ishmael? No, this was the only son of promise. He was the only son. He was the son of promise. He said, he told him to go to Moriah to offer him there. He told him to offer him because he was that son of promise. His action validated the blood covenant forever because he was willing to offer his own son. Okay? Now, what that did was it made it legal for God to send his own son into the earth to become redemption for all mankind. And apparently Abraham understood that because Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Remember they said, oh, you're barely 30 years old. How do you know Abraham? How did you see Abraham? We know. We know. Okay. From the beginning, God was seeing and even allowed Abraham to see the conclusion of that action of offering his son. All right. Now think about this. This is in Genesis chapter 1. I'm just going to give you a couple of them here just because I think this is kind of interesting. Genesis chapter 1 verse 6 says, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And wait, when did Abraham come on the scene at the end of the second day. That's important for us. So the second day in, in man's dominion of the planet ends with Abraham. The third day begins with Abraham, but, but that's an important thing to consider. Water, when it isn't labeled, when it doesn't have a name on it, as a certain body of water in Scripture, it often refers to people. That's pretty important because the second day, the waters were separated. The second day Abraham came on the scene. The second day there was a separation of the waters and the second day there was a separation of the people. There were the covenant people and then there were the Gentiles. God was pointing to something that was going to happen in the future. All right? So we recognize that. All right? Galatians chapter 4 says, Tell me, tell, ye, tell me ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. The one who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory for these two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which entereth to bondage, is Hagar, for this Hagar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. It says there were two covenants. Abraham came at the end of the second day. And he represented another covenant. Water is also a type 
of, of, of the word that brings salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. So that which was below was separated from that which is above. What a picture of the new birth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let me get to another one. Isn't that good? If we just, if we just look at things. Listen, listen to this one. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. Remember what, you know what day that happened on? Fourth day. Wait, wait. Jesus came at the end of the fourth millennium. The light came. Came at the end of the fourth. The, 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 that's the day the sun and the moon and the stars. The greater light here is referring to Jesus. He's the greater light. The lesser light refers to the church. Because we're talking about the church age now. Jesus is the light of the world, but Jesus told us we are the light of the world. It's referring to the future. He's the light of the world. I oh, mean, think about this verse of Scripture. This is in Malachi 4.2. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. What that just did was, it, because it says S-U-N, it, it, it confirms that the Son, S-U-N, created on the fourth day, was the same sun, S-O-N, that came in the 4,000 years. It's a prophecy. It's telling what's happening in the future from the very beginning. So the reason for the beginning was that God called us called the end into being. So we can see a lot of the end by looking at the beginning with an eye toward the prophetic. Here's what, here's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The thing that has been is that which shall be. That which is done is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. He said, is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new? It hath already been of old time which was before us. So we, under, we can understand prophecy by looking at, at what's happened in the past, especially in the scripture. There's nothing new. The Lord has already done it at least once. Do you realize you don't have a new problem? It might be new to you, but it's not new. Oh, yeah, but that COVID, that was new. No, 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 no. No, it's, it's, it's been there before. Been there before. We've got to take a look at the beginning to find the end. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. What's the fullness of time? Well, it had to fit into the prophetic timeline of Genesis chapter 1. That's the fullness of time. It's the fullness of time. Okay, I'm not going to go very long here because we prayed for a while, but listen to this one more. I'm going to give you one more. I've always liked this one. This is in Luke chapter 13, beginning of verse 31. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees saying unto him, Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill you. And he, Jesus, said to them, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils and do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Think about that. It's been a couple of days since Jesus said those words. A couple of thousand years since Jesus spoke that. He's been casting out devils and doing cures through his body, the church, for a couple of days now. For a couple of days, 
The church has been casting out devils, healing the sick. We're coming close to the dawn of the third day. And that means that perfection is at hand. Perfection just means completed, accomplished, consummated. I mean, the consummation of all things surely is at hand. We look at prophecy. I believe we can see from the past what's going to happen in the future. I believe we can see from what we've taught over the past several weeks that the return of Jesus is at hand. You and I have a job to do. We need to take as many people in that rapture as we can get to go with us. We need to make sure that they get there or we need to make sure if they don't get to go, we leave our Bibles where they can get to them. But I believe it's at hand. I believe we're coming upon the end of the second day. The last part of the church age is at hand. Ooh, and Jesus is going to come. And we're going to go and be with him. And it's going to be awesome. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you tonight, God, for your promise. I thank you for your covenant tonight. Lord, we believe you in all that you promised us. We do have dominion, but I thank you, thank you, thank you that the time of dominion that man has on this planet is coming to an end. This earth is groaning. It's shaking and trembling because her time is almost up and you're ready to come and create a new heaven and a new earth. Father, we give you thanks tonight for Jesus, that he came. He made the way for us that we now have a glorious future with you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.